was to worship him and praise him and lift our hands and our hearts and our voices to him and give him praise. And we do that right now, Father. Lord, we lift our hands and our hearts and we give you the praise that you desire because you are God. You've done so much for us. Lord, we look back through the week. We look back through the years. And we see what you've done for us as individuals. And see, we see what you've done for us as a church. And we can't help but praise you. Lord, thank you for salvation. Thank you for including me and whosoever will, which includes everyone in this sanctuary this morning. It includes all of us. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. We give you praise. We give you praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. How many of you remember whenever you were first saved? Come on, lift your hand. How many remember when you first saved? How many of you remember how, how fervent you were when God first saved you? Do you remember that? May I ask what happened? What happened? Why aren't we still worshiping and praising him? Why don't we still have that fervor as when he first saved us? When I first got saved, I felt like I could go out and I could win the world. I knew I couldn't, but I sure tried. Whenever I got saved, I wanted to tell everybody about it. I got saved. I didn't think anything about being wrong. I didn't think anything about them looking down on me or making fun of me. I was just happy. And I would tell somebody, I got saved last night. When's the last time you told somebody, I got saved and I still have the joy of the Lord in my heart? Now, I have a sermon this morning, but I don't have to preach it because I've argued with God all morning long about it. I prepared three sermons for this morning. The first one, God said, that's not it. The second one, God said, that's not it. I worked all day long yesterday. And God spoke to me this morning, and I got up and finished the sermon just before I came to church, and I don't even like it. I told God, I don't want to preach it. I don't like to be hard. And I, I, I wrestled with the Lord this morning, coming to to church this morning, Bonnie and I came over and I was quiet all the way because I've wrestled with the Lord. And I said, Lord, I don't want to preach this. And the Lord said, if you can't do what I ask you to do, you're no good to me. So I've got a sermon, but before I sing, I want a song that goes along with it. I don't know about you, but I know where I came from. I was a sinner. And I was saved by grace. It wasn't anything I did or anything that I had. I was a sinner and God saved me by his grace and covered me with the blood whenever I was 12 years old. I made a commitment to the Lord at 12 years of age that I have never, ever forgotten. And there's things that I don't do today. Other church members can do it, and you can do it and get by with it, and it's, it's all right. I won't condemn you, but I told God, I will not do so-and-so if you will save me and help me to get over it. And that's why I don't do some of the things that other people do, because it was a promise I made to God. I made it, and I took it serious. I still take it serious, but I remember when he saved me. And he saved me by his grace. I came from the housing projects over here, not far from here, over on Bryan Street. I lived in the housing apartments. Some people look down on that, but this church took me in when I was small. My dad was in a wheelchair. And us boys, three of us, we would push him to church. We came to this church in the old part over here. And this church just loved us and took us in. And then things happened. My dad died. My mother left us when I was six. 
My dad died when I was 12. And I had no idea what I was going to do. I didn't know what the future held. But God. But God. But God knew what the future held. And it was this church that helped to make me what I am today. Whenever I preached overseas, I can't help but think about the Ward Street Church of God. It had not been for them, I thought I wouldn't be here. I was in Jakarta, Indonesia, and I was preaching there, and I thought, holy cow, how in the world did I get into this? What am I doing here? I was a little boy from the housing projects. That God saved me, and here I am telling people on the other side of the world about Jesus Christ. I know where I came from. This song means so much to me. It says, I was a sinner, but now I'm saved by grace. If you could see where I once was, if you could go with me back to where I started from, then I know that you would see a miracle of love that took me in its warm embrace and made me what I am today. I was a sinner, but now I'm saved by grace. I was a sinner, but I'm saved by stood condemned to death he took my place and now I live and breathe in freedom with each breath of life I take I'm loved and forgiven I'm back with the living. I was a sinner, but now I'm saved by grace. How many remember when he saved you? How could I boast? of anything I've ever said or done. How could I dare to claim as mine all the victories my God has won? Where would I be had God not brought me gently to this place I'm here to say I was nothing I was a sinner but now I'm saved by grace I was a sinner saved by grace stood condemned to death he took my place now I live and breathe in freedom 
With each breath of life I take, I'm loved and forgiven. I'm back with the living. I was a sinner, but now I'm saved by grace. Now I live and breathe in freedom with each breath of life I take. I'm loved and forgiven. Back with the living. I was a sinner, but now I'm saved by grace. You see, I'm saved by grace. And that's where all of us are, sinners saved by grace. I want to speak to you on a subject this morning. It says impossible, but God. Impossible, but God. In Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5, it says, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Not anything that you've done, not by any works, but simply by grace. Two of the greatest words that you'll find are found in the scriptures that says, but God. Some 31 times you'll find it, but God, it's full of the gospel. For sinners like you and sinners like me who are lost, completely unable to save ourselves, we were in rebellion, so the Bible tells us, but these words, these words but God, we were sinners, but God, Jesus gave his life for us, and no longer do we have to live in sin anymore. These, these two words are great. Once we were dead to our real love for God, we were buried in our own compounding and disorienting blindness, but God... Once we were deceived by our own lust, our own glory, our own self-determination. But God, once we lived enslaved with the passions of our own fleshly desires. But God, once we were God's enemies. But God, but God being rich in mercy. But God showing his incomprehensible love for us in that while we were yet sinners, he said to us, God dead, God ignoring, God reveling, God hating, dry bone, children of wrath, because that's who we were. But he said, live. I want you to live. Like Ezekiel in the valley of dry bones, when God breathed on them and brought them back to life, he said, this old sinful dead body, he said, I want you to live. Live for what? Live for true beauty. Live for true glory. Live for true hope. Live for true pleasure. Live for true joy. Live for God and live forever. So it tells us in John three sixteen, And he did this simply by taking our God-deadening, God-ignoring, God-rivaling, God-hating, God-wrath-inducing sin and placing every bit of it on his son. And he became our sin on the cross. And then he said, 
die. Told us to live. But the sins that were placed on him, he had to die. One who knew no sin became our sin. And for a brief moment of time, he became the sinful child of wrath hanging on that cross for you and for me. The righteous for the unrighteous so that we might become the righteousness of God. These words, but God, they tell us that we have been saved by God's grace. Dead children of wrath do not become living children of God except for the grace of God. Revel in these two priceless words. Sweet or the bitter, but this this will occur between now, and th think about what's going to happen between now and the moment that you die. As a Christian, God will take everything and work it for your good, so he tells us in the scripture. Because of the gospel, because of, but God. While Jesus was talking with his disciples one day, he made reference he said, you know, it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to go into heaven. And they couldn't understand what he was talking about. And Jesus looking at them in Matthew 19 and 26, Jesus looked at him. he said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are Possible. And I told you when I grew up over in on Bryan Street, I didn't know what was going to happen to me. My mother left us when I was six. I wound up with people in Florida. Then I wound up with some other people in Florida. They separated my brother and me, and I lived with them for a while. I didn't have a future, I didn't think. And then they gave me back. Uh, to an uncle that was there. And then finally we got back to my dad that lived here in Douglas, and he was in a wheelchair. And then when I turned 12 years old, my dad died. And my heart was broken because I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't think I had a future. I, I, I couldn't see anything. I couldn't, like Paul, I, I looked through a glass darkly. I didn't know what was going to happen. But this church took me in. I wasn't a Christian when that happened. But that same year at the age of 12, I gave my heart to the Lord. And I was sitting in the old congregation over here, and we were in the middle row. Larry Cheney and I were sitting back there about four or five rows from the back. I have no idea what the preacher preached. I don't know. We like to cut up and talk. We like to do a lot of things. But there was something about that morning... And when the altar call was given, I mean, I was 12. Larry was 14. I looked up to him. He, I mean, he was an adult. But right in the middle, the altar call was given, and he said, he turned and looked at me. He didn't say Coleman. I mean, he didn't call me or get my attention. He said, Coleman, don't die and go to hell. That's all he said. And at that moment, at 12 years old, it dawned on me that if I didn't give my heart to the Lord, that's exactly where I was going. And I remember coming down to the altar, and I remember praying. And I remember them praying with me. Mary Frances Barrington, right there, arms around me, praying with me. Oh, Sister, Sister Wooten, bless her heart, right there praying for me. And I prayed through that morning, and something, something happened that I've never forgotten. Nobody looked at me and said, Coleman, you got saved this morning. Nobody did that. They asked me, I remember Sister Barrington saying, Coleman, what happened this morning? I said, God saved me. <laughs> I knew it. 
it happened. And this church just sort of, you know, took me in. I love Larry like a brother. He is my brother. Larry's dad. When we were at the, at, at, at the funeral home, and it was a, the night before the funeral taking place for my dad, and I remember O.E. Cheney, Buddy Cheney, coming up to me, and he put his arms around me. He said, boys, he looked at us. He said, boys, don't you worry about a thing because if something is not worked out for you, you're going to come live with us. Now, he had three kids of his own. He said, you can come live with us. I've never forgotten that. This church went, took food to us. They had clothing. They'd come get us and take us out to eat. They'd come get us and take us out to their house. We'd spend the whole weekend sometime out at Larry's house, and it, we'd pick up the, the pecans and, 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 and work around there and, and, and goofed off and, and plowed the goats and rode the mule and pulled logs and you know, but the church took us in. They didn't say, well, they're from the old apartments over there. You know, they're, I mean, the poor people called us poor. And they didn't say, it, it didn't matter. They just took us in. And I'll never, ever forget it. I didn't know how I was going to move forward. When my dad died, I didn't know what was going to happen. But the, the thing that, that bothered me so bad was I didn't know how all this was going to end. You know, what's the future? How is it going to end? What's going to happen in the future? You know, the church is the same way. Against overwhelming circumstances, against emotional struggles, Thin finances. Sometimes people in the church, the doctor gives them a new diagnosis and it's not very good. And we often look at it and we say, well, there's no way out. There's no way. And we're left wondering, how is all this going to end? We have troubles in the church sometimes. This church has had its share of them through the years. And at the time you wonder, how is all of this going to end, but God, but God comes on the scene. You see, God doesn't just redeem us for himself. He redeems our stories. He redeems our testimonies. He redeems our tears for him. And we're left wondering sometimes, how will it end? What the enemy means to destroy us. And to harm us, to split our faith, to split our churches, God means for good. And God can take any adverse circumstance and turn it around for good. We don't have to go any further than Genesis chapter 37 through 50. and We see the life of Joseph. He'd been thrown in a pit. He was sold as a slave. He was taken away from everything that he had ever known, everyone that he had ever loved. He was separated from his family for decades, wrongly accused, despite of his honesty, all of his hard work and his integrity. He was wrongly imprisoned, and he was left in prison despite of his innocence. But through all of this, through every adverse situation that happened, he looked at it and he said that his brothers had intended to harm him. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. This didn't dawn on Joseph when all of this was happening. And sometimes adverse situations cause us in our families or in the church itself. And we look around and we wonder, how is it going to end? And then, but God comes on and God holds the ending. God holds how it's going to end. When we are gods, Satan cannot triumph 
Can I say that again? When we are God's, Satan never triumphs. He may press you. People may disappoint you. Though life uh, may bring all of its adversities and may become unraveled at times, they don't get the final say in the overall picture. There is always, always, always but God. But God. He said, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. Do you need protection? We look at 1 Samuel 23 and 14. David stayed in the desert strongholds and in the hills of the desert of Ziph. Day after day, Saul searched for him, but God did not give David into his hands. You need protection. You need God. Are you fighting a battle? 2 Chronicles 20 and 15, he says, and he said, listen, all of you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid. Don't be dismayed because of this great multitude coming against you. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Are you feeling weary? Go to Psalm 73 and 26. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Do you feel like you're in a pit sometimes? Jonah did when he disobeyed God in Jonah 2 and 6. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, O oh Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. Are you worried about death? Acts 2 and 24, they're talking about Jesus. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep a hold on him. Acts 3 and 15, you kill the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. Acts 13, 29 and 30, when they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb, but God raised him from the dead. Are you worried about being alone? Acts 7 and 9, and the patriarchs, Jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt, but God was with him. Concerned about recognition for the work that you're doing, about other people seem to get all the credit all the time. Paul said, I planted, Apollos watered, and but God gave the increase. These verses tell us that our circumstances don't have the last word. This tells us that the enemy does not have the last word. This tells us that death and disease do not have the last word because there is always but God. And when I didn't know what was going to happen in my life, all of a sudden, but God came on the scene and made a way and provided a way. And today I stand in this pulpit not just because of what God has done for me, but because of what this church has done for me also. The good news is, and we find out through all of this, holiness is not the way to Jesus. Jesus is the way to holiness. That's what it tells us. Now, I get to the part that I told you I wrestled about. I wrestled with the Lord because God has given me a word for this church, and I don't say that lightly. It bothers me. I don't ever recall standing in a pulpit anywhere I've been and saying God has given me a word for this church, but He has. And it's not easy. And I'm about to share a few things with you that we as a congregation need to watch out for because I am a part of this church. One is we like to grumble. Oh, we love to grumble when things don't go right. When somebody doesn't say the right thing, 
Preacher doesn't preach the right sermon. Somebody says something wrong to us. Oh, we love to grumble about it. But I'm reminded and I look back at what happened. And it tells us about Paul. Paul said, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers and danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, this, there is the daily pressure of my anxieties for all of the churches. This is what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 11, 24 through 28. How was your day? Paul went through all of this. Did you know that he went through all of these bad experiences, but he didn't stay there? He didn't let those experiences get him down. He didn't let it bother him. Paul went on in, in Philippians 4 and 8. He said, indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. In other words, all of these things that happen to me is nothing. It's nothing because Christ is worth it all. Do we focus more on the past or do we look to what God can do in the future? Now, I'm not saying don't look at the past. We have to look at the past to see where we've come from. We have to take the, the, the failures of the past and make sure we don't repeat them. But Paul wrote most of his writings while he was sitting in jail. And sometimes we think we have it bad. In Thessalonians 5 and 6, he says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, it's hard sometimes not to grumble and complain, especially when it happens to you personally. But God, but God can touch our hearts and our minds. We go by the renewing of our minds, Paul said. What kind of choices are we making? Venomous anger will destroy a person. It will destroy a church. Get rid of bitterness. Get rid of anger. Get rid of rage. Get rid of brawling and slander. Along with every form of malice. That's what Paul said in Ephesians 4 and 31. Second thing, and whatever I was thinking on this, and I thought, Lord, this is getting pretty hard now. Apathy. Apathy. What has happened to the church? Now, I'm not talking about the churches around town. I'm not talking about the Baptist church or the Methodist church, or I'm not talking about any other. I'm talking about the West Ward Street Church of God right here. The message should be relevant to us where we live right here. Have you grown apathetic in the church? We want to voice our opinions and we want to give our instructions. And sometimes we have grown apathetic in the things that we do. We have grown lazy. We are quickly allowing boundaries to be crossed when it comes to what we allow or will allow and what we will speak out against. And we've allowed it to creep into the church. We need to speak out on those issues that rob God of his glory. 
We need to stand up for the issues of today. Let me give you one, for example, abortion. We need to be the voice for those children who have been aborted through the years. But sometimes we hear the others talking about it, and we hear the left really going on about it, and we refuse to say a word about it. We don't stand up. We've grown very apathetic. We need to stand up for what's right and let people know that God is still on the throne and God is still judging people, that there is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. And here's another one. Now, where did these come from? You talk to the Lord about it. Business. Business. We in the church have become so busy until we can't take time to pray. We can't take time for church. Church is no longer a priority for us. Church is down here on the bottom of the scale. If I have time, then we'll go to church. If I get through with this other or I can make it there after I do this, then we'll go to church. We have become so busy sometimes, even within the church, we get so busy until we can't even see the beauty of our salvation. When we first moved to Missouri, being from South Georgia, we, we, we were there in the Midwest, and the snow, first big snowfall we had, and I mean, it, it was deep. We had a foot of snow, and, and for a South Georgia boy, that's rough. And there at the parsonage, it's a state office, state parsonage, it, our driveway kind of went up, and it had melted, and ice was down on the, on, on the concrete, and then the snow had covered that. And I was out with my snow shovel, and I was shoveling that snow as hard as I could. My, my, my shoulders were hurting. My back was hurting. Now, Brett was little. He was five years old, and he had a plastic shovel there, and he was shoveling too. I'd shovel this direction. He'd shovel it back. We were shoveling. But I got so tired, and, and after a while, Brett looked at me, and he said, Daddy, you know what I think we ought to do? I said, No, babe. What do you think we ought to do? And he, he said, I think we ought to stop what we're doing, and we ought to thank God for this beautiful snow. It wasn't until then I looked around me. Man, it was beautiful. I mean, the trees covered the snow. It was just hanging. The whole neighborhood, it was absolutely gorgeous. And I said, son, you know, I think you're right. And I stuck my shovel down. He stuck his down. And all of a sudden he said, and I'll pray. Well, he didn't know how to pray softly. We were the only Pentecostals in that whole section where we lived. And he put that shovel down, and he looked up to heaven, and he said, Oh, God! I thought the whole neighborhood was going to come down there. They didn't know what. I guess they thought we were crazy, because he just yelled it out. Oh, God, I thank you for this beautiful snow. This is so beautiful. Oh, it's so beautiful. God, your handiwork is so great. God, I thank you for the snow. But I was so busy, I would never have noticed the beauty had he not stopped me. We get so busy in the church. We get so busy doing good. We get so busy doing for others. We get so busy doing for everybody but what we should be doing, and we don't have time to stop and pray anymore. We don't have time to visit with anybody anymore. Somebody is sick, we say, well, I'll just say a little prayer for them, and that's about it. It's just I'll say a prayer for them. We're too busy. We're too busy. We're too busy as individuals and too busy as a church. Sometimes we need to say, no, I can't do that today. God needs me. And then there's a, I've already mentioned there's a lack of church interest. Church takes a bottom totem pole anymore. Church is not on the priority top anymore. We don't have to go to church. No, you don't. 
We don't have to go and be a part of the part of the body of Christ. No, you don't. But Christ says it's a good thing for us to to be a part of the body. That we should be with like-minded people, and especially as the day draws near, we need the assembling of ourselves together. But I've got an athletic event that, I, that I've just got to go to. We used to have, you know, used to they would call off uh, on Wednesday nights and Sundays. There was no games. You know, we, we enjoyed church. Church was set aside on Sunday. We could come and hear the preacher, and we could enjoy the services and, and be off with the family of the day, and, and then tonight come back again. Now it's, if it's convenient, I'll go. Well, I don't like what the preacher's preaching anyway, or I don't like what somebody else is saying anyway. And somebody mentioned that one time. And uh, he said, of all the churches I've ever been to, all the preaching I've ever heard, and through the years I've heard thousands of sermons, and for the life of me, I can't tell you what one sermon said. I can't remember anything about those sermons. And the old gentleman was sitting there, and he said, Well, he said, I tell you what. My wife is a good cook. She is a great cook. And for all of these years, she has prepared meals for me. And I've eaten those meals. And he said, You know, for the life of me, I can't tell you one recipe that she made. But I will tell you this, that food sure was nourishing, and without that food that I received, I sure wouldn't be here today. We may not remember those sermons, but we remember the nourishing that goes on with it. Two more things, and I'll be through. The next one is unforgiveness. Unforgiveness in the church. Somebody did something to me 20 years ago, and I have never forgiven them. And it still sits in the church today. I was asked to go to North Georgia to preach. I was, in fact, I had a, a little conference with the, the ladies there at the church. Uh, spoke at on Saturday night for the Home for Children. And then I was preaching on Sunday morning. And God changed my mind about everything. I got up, I had my sermon ready, and the Lord said, that's not what you need to preach. Put that sermon up. And I said, well, Lord, what am I supposed to preach? And the Lord told me what to preach. This was just before I went into the church. And when I came up, I told the people, I didn't know the church. And I told them, I said, I'm here, and I have a sermon but God told me not to preach it because if I do, it'll just be a sermon. I said, I don't know how long I'm going to speak, but you'll know when I'm finished. And I began to speak on the love of Christ and forgiving one another. Didn't know that this was what was happening in the church. And when I called for prayer, I asked for the entire church to come down. And they started coming on one side, down the other. And it was very quiet. God just broke my heart. I knelt down at the chair and I was praying at the pulpit. The pastor come up and said a few words. He got down and he was praying at the pulpit. We were both praying. And all of a sudden, I began to hear prayer coming from one side. And it began to come across like a rush. And all of a sudden, people began to begin praying louder and louder and raising hands and standing up and praising the Lord. But after it was all over, the pastor come up and said, do you have any idea what just happened? I said, no. I know I didn't do a very good job preaching. He said, it wasn't your preaching that did it. It was your obedience that did it. He said, a year ago, the piano player ran off with the pastor. And he said, we've been here and we've been trying for a year to have a breakthrough in this church and we haven't had it. We just came out of revival and nothing has happened. He said, but what happened this morning was 
People come in, they would sit on one side, and the others would sit on the other, and they never talked to one another. They would get up and leave. They had no fellowship, and you could tell it. He said, what happened this morning was the love of God saturated this place, and the chains fell off, and people who had uh, enmity against others, all the chains were broken, and they began praying with each other. There's unforgiveness. You get hurt by the church. You get hurt by church people. Oh, you get hurt church hurt by church people, a lot more than you do than people outside the church. They say something, do something, whatever. Oh, E. Cheney came to me one time at the altar in the old building over here. And we were at the altar, and he came to me. He said, son, and that's what he always called me. He said, son, I owe you an apology. And he was crying. I said, you don't owe me an apology. He said, oh, yes, I do. I owe you an apology. He said, I talked about you. And I ran you down, and I thought so-and-so. And he said, I was wrong. I was praying, and God showed me, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? I said, there's nothing to forgive. He said, you don't understand. There is. I need you to forgive me. I said, consider that you are forgiven. And we hugged each other's neck, and we cried, and we snotted, and everything else. But God blessed God bless. We need that in the church. And I'm talking about the West Ward Street Church of God. I, from just my being here in the short time, I hear these talk or that. I mean, there are people that's been hurt. How often do you go to them and say, hey, I just want you to, to know that I love you so much. Forgive me for talking about you. Or forgive me for way back there for, for, for hurting you. The last one. Loss of first love. We've lost our first love. I won't say that lightly. I remember when God saved me. I was so happy. I would do anything. I prayed. I sang. I was at events. I was in Sunday school. I loved church. I couldn't wait till I got back. How many of you remember your first love? We've wandered away from our first love, and it's not there. God, help us to go back. The church at Ephesus, the church of Ephesus had admirable qualities, but it had one tragic flaw. Christ commended them for their good works, for their perseverance, and for their church discipline. In verse 4, he says, Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. How do you get it back? He said, first of all, you've got to remember where you left that first love. Remember what it was like when God first saved you. When the energy was overflowing and you just loved God so much. Remember. And then he said, the second thing you have to do is repent. You need to repent. And the third thing you need to do is go back and repeat the joys of that first love. I know I've gone over time. But right now, what the Lord has shared with me is that we want revival. I've heard many of you say, we need revival. We don't really want it. 
Because revival takes work. And revival starts with you. If you really want revival, it starts here. It starts at home. It starts wherever you are. Revival starts with you. Does the Ward Street Church of God want revival? Do we want to get back to our first love? I'll tell you. But God. But God. And whenever we say, but God, intervene. The church at Ephesus. But God intervened. They went back to their first love. How bad do you want revival? I want to see people healed. I want to see things happen. I want to see God's presence. I want to see us loving one another and loving Him. And it will not happen until we have revival in our individual hearts. It starts here. And I'm going to ask you, if you want revival, if you want God to bless you and take you back to your first love, I want you to get up from where you're sitting and I want you to come around this altar and I want you to pray. Notice I didn't, I, when I say pray, I mean I want you to pray. Not two minutes, not three minutes. I want you to pray through until you look around at someone and say, whoa, there's a person I need to talk with. There's a person I need to ask forgiveness. Oh, there's a person that's sick. I need to pray for them. Some people say, well, I'm afraid to pray for people who's sick because if I pray for them and they don't get healed, it makes me look bad. No, no. Whenever I pray for people, God says pray for so-and-so. They're sick no matter what it is. Once I pray for them in Jesus' name, I've done my part. The healing is up to Him. And sometimes the healing may not come till later. But I've seen healings take place instantaneous. I want to see it again. But I want to see it here. I don't want us looking at some other church somewhere and say, oh, look how God's blessing. Let's run to that church and see if that'll work for us. No. I want it to be here, and I want people to say, go look at that church, at the Ward Street Church. People are being healed. People are being brought to the Lord. I want to go over there and see what's happening. That's what I want to see. Get up from where you are.